You are listening to Grit and Grace. My name is Taverly, and I am here for deep soul level conversations and connections about spirituality to step into a deeper understanding of what lies on the other side of the veil. As a social impact entrepreneur, founder of the Moon Temple Mystery School, high priestess and ritualist, I am shining a light on walking the awakening path and how it weaves into our daily lives. I invite you to take a deep breath, leave what you know at the door, and step into the mysteries with me. Welcome back to Grit and Grace. And we have one of my most favorite guests with me today. In fact, she's starting to feel a little bit like a co-host because she's been on this show so many times. We have Dr. Francis Yahia with us. And Dr. Francis Yahia has had such in-depth conversations with us previously. So if you haven't listened to her, I think have we done we've done three shows three, yes three yeah we did we did the original one and then we have released a two-part series and we are back because in that two-part series we were able to really dive into the spiritual laws and along with those laws come these 12 spiritual truths that we we mention like you talk about quite a bit but we didn't have the opportunity to get into detail because we have so much to talk about <laughs> <laughs> and i absolutely love having her so thank you for being back. Thank you for inviting me back. This is so great. I really do feel like I'm at home with you and I appreciate that. Yeah. And there's this energy that circulates between us and I look forward to, and for all of you listening, I look forward to exploring all of the the lives or the myths that you and I have lived out before together, because I suspect that this is not the first time <laughs> I would we agree. have come together. <laughs> I would agree. And I think back to how we originally met, and I'm thinking of our first introduction call. So I I know you have someone that books shows for you, and they'd reached out to me. And I originally read your one of your books, right? Because they sent me a copy of the book, and we booked a show. And then we just went way farther from that. Like immediately, we went so deep. Mm -hmm. And one of the most fascinating things about you is the mythology that comes into the playing out of archetypes and how they roll out in our lives. And because you are an archetypal astrologer, you know, we started with the astrology piece and the archetype pieces, but there is so much more because I feel like you are like a spiritual wizard. Like you have, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you've absorbed so much knowledge in your body that it, I know that for me, when something is circling into my field, and I know that people have a lot of questions about it, then I know that I need to talk about it. And for me to find a source to have the conversation with me when it's important, especially if it's not my area of expertise, knowing that I have you (laughs) in my corner and all of the people listening also have this knowledge available to them. I'm just so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah. So yeah. let's start with the truth. Let's start with the spiritual <laughs> truths. I get so excited. <laughs> so in a minute, I'm going to share the Hercules myth briefly, and then we'll go into the 12 truths. I just want to preface this by saying every philosophy, religion, tradition has some versions of these truths in their program or in their, you know, sort of um, cosmology or mythology or, or path. So this is just the Herculean myths put in a spiritual way. You can use the astrology wheel to follow them. You can layer on what you're already doing and, you know, sort of fill in the blanks that perhaps you're not doing. So first, let's start with the mythology of Hercules. So his father is Zeus and his mother is Alcine. And Zeus being, you know, a playboy and a lover boy, um, had <laughs> extramarital relationships with Alcine. And Hera, his wife, was always nagging and checking in on him. So when Alcine gets pregnant with Hercules, she actually tries to get the birth sort of annulled or not to happen. Mm-hmm. And she actually bribes the midwife and says, do not let him be born. But the midwife knew that he had to be born, that she tricked Hera into saying, look, a cat. And Hera looked over and then Alcine births Hercules. Mm -hmm. And what does this mean? You may not feel that you're supposed to be here. You may not know why you're here. Many of us resisted incarnating, and that is very true. And, And so there might be a level of pain and suffering in the earthly experience. But I can guarantee you through this myth, 
that we are all here like Hercules on a divine journey with a divine will and purpose. And that's what these myths lay out. So as Hercules gets older and he's very, very strong, he's actually named Heracles to try to appease Hera because she was so angry, but she knew that wasn't her child. So she actually instigated him into a fit of rage, so much so that he killed his wife and his children. Mm. So after that happened, she's like, basically, you need to do these 12 labors that seem to be impossible tasks. So this is important because when we incarnate, we incarnate with karma that has to be burned, but only one thread of karma. In in our entire story, we're only here burning one thread of karma this entire existence. It might seem that it's a lot more, but when we strip back our own myth, our own Herculean sort of journey, it's linked back to one previous, let's say, fit of rage to keep the metaphor from a previous lifetime. And so we represent uh, Zeus and Hera's, I mean, I'm sorry, Hercules and Zeus's and Alchemy's child, Hercules. We are half divine. We have a divine spark that comes from Zeus, our heavenly divine nature. And we have an earthly flawed body that comes from Alcine being an earthly parent. So we are indeed Hercules. Our spiritual journey involves these 12 truths and these 12 steps. I want to just preface truth one and six, and I'll list them in a minute, he failed at. It's not that we fail. It's that we have to do them every single day. The Mm -hmm. first one is the truth of thought. I'll go deeper in a moment. The second is the truth of desire. The third is the truth of emotion and breath. The fourth is instinct, intellect, and intuition. The fifth is ego, personality, and divine will or individuation. The sixth is truth of purification. So there's another one that he failed at. Why? Because our truth of thought, the first one has to do with our mind. We must look at our thoughts obsessively every day. This is different than meditation and truth 10. Truth six is truth of purification. How our thoughts are lived out in our body. Our body is a loyal servant to the psyche. Both you and I have had many surgeries and we can attest to that. And it's all linked to the battle zone in our thoughts is representative in all of our scars and organ removals and surgeries in our body. So one in six, he failed at to remind us that every single day we need to attend to both our mind and our body. Truth seven is balance and fun. Truth eight is the shadow. You cannot do spiritual work without looking at your shadow. It's impossible. A spiritual path without shadow work is not a spiritual path. Mm. Truth nine is wisdom and mentorship. Truth 10 is silence and simplicity and meditation and contemplation fall in here. So now this is truth 10. Truth one is the truth of thought that we have to obsess about our thoughts. And I'll share with you my process. Truth 11 is service. And truth uh, 12 is the truth of unity. Mm. So this is the way that the astrological wheel is set up. Each one of the labors of Hercules that seem to be impossible monumental tasks are linked to one of these truths. And we in some way have to honor and live out these tasks as well as part of our own spiritual journey. So we can go a little more in depth in each. Yeah. And let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, There's two things that you said that I think so many people can relate to, especially if they're listening to this show, which is feeling like they don't belong in this lifetime. I especially in spiritual communities, there's Mm -hmm. after the people like Dolores Cannon have come through the universe and shared these ideas that there are waves of people that incarnated and are really feeling very displaced. Like they, they came here. And, and they, they came here against what they really wanted. So they're floaty and they don't desire to ground in and do that work. So that was number one. And, and number two, the question I'm going to ask is like, why does knowing the spiritual truths matter? But we'll come back to that. Let's start with, let's start with this of where people feel like they don't belong. Like, how is this, how, how has this happened? So 
oftentimes we don't recognize um, that in the body is the only place where we can raise consciousness, raise vibration. And it's the only place that we can burn karma. We cannot burn karma or raise vibration. Let's say the planes of the universe. We can't move, let's say, from one plane to a higher plane without a body. So it's only in the incarnation that these things can happen. So if we're not ready to incarnate, let's say we've been, you know, there's no linear time and space, but thousands, 2000 years, sort of with our universal consciousness hanging out in the cosmos. And all of a sudden, you know, you're sort of tapped on the shoulder and said, it's time to come back. It's time to be a human again. (laughs) You're going to kick and scream and say, absolutely not. And so that's part of that interesting piece with the myth is that we don't want to come and a trick sort of has to come in and sort of, you know, make us come in for whatever reason. So what happens at that moment of incarnation is we pick a vibration linked to our parents' vibration. Our parents are simply a vehicle, a vehicle Mm -hmm. for thought, emotion, desire, and low-level consciousness. By the moment of birth, we have everything we need on our spiritual journey. Our parents were simply that, that vehicle, but that was the trick in here. And we've covered that. So we'll refer people back to the, I I can't recall which show we recovered. (laughs) Listen to all of them, but... Yeah, I know that we talked about that. So yeah. I understand what you're saying. That was that's just the vehicle, the avenue to kickstart us. That, that's the I, I'm going to call it. That's that's the trickster. Yeah. The trickster <laughs> exactly. came in. That's the midwife trickster that said, "Cat, cat." And cat is a symbol of independence. Mm. So the symbol of cats, and of course, for each person, it's going to have a little bit of a tweak depending on their own symbolism and symbol dictionary with their guidance. But the symbol for cats is independence. Um, So that was part of that thing. In order to be an individual, individuated, and live out these truths, the cat played a role in that story as well. So every little bit of mythology has so much symbolism in it. I love it. So now he incarnates. And he has a master called the presiding master. And the master is here to basically tell him that he has to go through these truths that they call gates. So my first book is the seven gates. And you see Mm -hmm. this repeated in mythology, this idea of gates, this idea that we walk through a gate and then we're done is not so Hmm. we walk through the gate and then around the Zodiac we go, let's say, and we go through the same 12 gates again and 12 gates again, et cetera. So depending if we're in this body or another body, we're constantly going through these gates. So he was told that he had to start with these labors. So the first labor is linked to the truth of thought. And he is told to gather what are called man-eating mares, these horses that are destroying the countryside. And we're still talking about Hercules. Let's just clarify. We're still talking about Hercules. Yep. yep, Truth one. So truth of thought. Mm -hmm. So the myth, just a quickie synopsis of the myth is he's got to collect man-eating mares. Anytime you see in mythology the symbol of a horse or a mare, if they're dark, they represent low consciousness. If they're light, they represent higher consciousness. These were dark, a brood eating, a man eating mares. These mares represent the unruly thoughts that rule our life. So when we're told in meditation to observe the thought and let it go, that isn't until truth 10, silent simplicity, meditation, contemplation. We have to obsess about our thoughts, where our thoughts come from, why they're there. There is a reason we have negative thoughts. There's a reason and a process for how to observe our thoughts and understand what they're there to do for us. And that's what this step indicates. You have to get obsessive about your thoughts because if you don't know what your thoughts are saying or indicating to you, you don't know why what's happening in your body is happening. They are completely related. Well, he failed this labor. His friend Abderis helped him carry the uh, collect the horses. They trampled Abderis and he had to go back and redo the entire labor. Mm-hmm. Our thoughts trample us day in and day out. 
to think you ever have control over your thoughts is impossible. So that so is one of the labors so you're that he saying, failed. You're saying that we have to look at them. We have to obsess over them. Like we have to make time and stillness. And I, I'm taking it into the practical here to always be able to look at how our thoughts are dictating all the things. Well, stillness, I don't personally do it in stillness. I have a process called the personal TED talk. T for Mm -hmm. thought, E for emotion, D for desire. It's my entire first book is based on, those are the first three steps of the seven steps, but that TED talk is is life-changing. And what it is, is where'd you get the thought? You got the thought at conception from your parents. So sort of which shadow aspect of your parent don't you want to incorporate? What you're judging about the thought and what emotion is attached to the thought. You can do that while washing the dishes. You could do that while driving a car. You don't have to be in stillness there. It actually is a split section, a split section, second process when you really get the hang of it. I have a video on my YouTube called the personal TED talk explained. It's about 10 minutes. If your audience wants to visit that. Yeah. And we'll put that link in the show notes as well as all of the places to reach you. Everything you discussed today will go in the show notes. I I like that you're talking movement. Um, I was thinking originally that it's the process of really reflection, but that's that feels like that's law 10 yes. Or, or yes, truth like 10. spiritual truth yes. 10. And it does happen in a split second. And I have several examples that just came to my mind of how I've done that recently. It can happen fast. Like Super the moment- fast. If you're, especially if you're in tune with your body, because your body immediately reacts immediately. to the thought. So when my body feels a certain way, to me, it's just a, uh-oh, like what's happening? And then I have to pause and think, and then I can correct it. Oh, that's why I felt that way. And it, I, I guess I, I'm doing that um, so subconsciously truth one and truth now. So six are there. Mm-hmm. You see how the body immediately responds to the thought. Mm-hmm. So thought emotion is a super important, it's for, especially for people that aren't embodied and for people who are doing deep generational trauma work, you cannot just fix the issue from the body or the desire. You have to understand the thought and the emotion that's attached to that pain, to that illness, to that trauma. And so in the Ted talk, you're actually removing all three. Imagine a brick If you don't process the thought and you just sit in meditation, that brick doesn't turn to sand. You can't Mm -hmm. remove energy. You can't break it down in terms of eliminating it, but you can make it smaller in the sense that you can turn it into like a fine uh, sand type of bit. So when you process your thought, emotion, and desire, and hence what Ted means in my model, you take the brick, the thought, emotion, and desire, You turn it into like this fine grained sand and then the effect in the body is like that. It's quick. It might be like a jolt. It might be a tickle. It might be a sneeze versus cancer or arthritis later on that's more chronic and severe. So really the more we obsess about the thoughts is really the trick. And that is one that he fails. So we fail at it in the sense that we have to look at it every day, just like truth six. So we're basically living out Hercules's experience yes. um, as, <laughs> as humans. And, and is this part of the reason why some people feel like they fail at meditation? Although I, I feel like I don't like saying that they fail at it. They feel, I, I get that reflection a lot, but I, I more think that it's a reflection of the other thoughts keep wanting to come in to be processed and they try to push them aside and ignore it because they're supposed to be meditating. So I have to push that thought away. But the more that they push the thought away, the more that the thoughts are not being looked at. Exactly. And you need to know where thoughts come from. You need to know that certain negative thoughts help you. You need to know that it's there for a reason. So if you don't have that piece, meditation doesn't feel right because you feel exactly like you said that you're failing at it because you're like, well, why do they keep coming in and what am I doing wrong? And people get agitated. So that really is truth 10. Once we've gone all the way nine truths, then we can start that Mm -hmm. journey. Mm -hmm. Okay. So truth, truth two is the truth of desire. And on this labor, he was asked to bring home the Cretan bull. Anytime in mythology that you see the bull or a cow, it has to do with the body and its desires. So when he brings the bull home, he rides the bull. This is not suppression of our bodily urges, sex, 
food, the things that we enjoy. It's about letting us, our divine nature, ride those desires that we control them. They don't control us. So this idea of the suppression of desires or back in the day, the fakirs that would beat themselves, that isn't true. We're here in the Vedas. It's called Kama. It's one of the stages of life. You have to give in to the desires, whether it's wealth or sex or greed, these deadly sins, vices, or passions that we're judging ourselves so harshly on. So in Hindu mythology, every single god or goddess always has an animal in his pantheon. And that is called a vahana. That is an animal. And it's linked to animal consciousness to remind us that we are human, that we are animal low-level consciousness, that we are flawed, like Hercules, who had an earthly parent, just like us. I'm with you. I was just thinking about um, primal, like the word primal, like how primal comes into that, what people think that primal desires are unhealthy or I would like to say that, that you know our capitalist society has beaten it out of us, our primal <laughs> desires. Um, but the primal desires are there that that's what primal is, is it's innate. It's mm-hmm. in us to seek these certain pleasures, right? Which is different for everyone, but Absolutely. yet it's 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 a hundred percent there all the time. Mm-hmm. And in Ayurveda, they're called urges, and you're not supposed to suppress them. You're supposed to let them out. And so in my TED talk, the TED, one of the questions I ask is what is the judgment? When I know someone's judgment about themselves or another, I know exactly the desire they're trying to suppress. And so I can help them say, no, let's live it out, but let's set a boundary and a limit to it. So it doesn't take over your life, but that rather you can ride the desire. So we can ride the desires instead of having them control us. Exactly. And did Hercules accomplish that by riding the bull? He did ride the bull to the island of the Cyclops. The Cyclops is the one-eyed monster, and it indicates our third eye, unified Mm. consciousness. So Mm. he managed to balance the earthly desires and the spiritual desires or the earthly consciousness and the divine consciousness. So he did succeed. <laughs> I really, I really love this mythology so much. And I know that our next show, we're going to be talking more about like mythology one-on-one, but I just have to point out that this is so powerful. This is why mythology is so important because we are literally living it out day to day all Absolutely. the time. Yes. Um, okay. So keep going. We are Let's, a living myth. And when you know myth. you're living myth, it's very mm. powerful. And then you have more control over the ending, so to speak. So the third is the truth of emotion and breath. This is my absolute favorite myth. I'll give you the the five second synopsis. But basically, he is assigned a task to go get three apples, the golden apples at this garden called Hesperides. He has two teachers on the way. And this is really important for us who do this type of work. And anyone who's on a spiritual path, you need a teacher somewhere along the way. There are two types of teachers. Unfortunately, I was raised by the Busiris. Busiris is the teacher that promises you the moon and stars. Oh, I've already taken care of that. Oh, you don't have to do any work. Oh, it's just easy. Those teachers take your power. Nereus is the other teacher he encounters who just nudges him on his path. And he doesn't know anything about the garden, but Nereus sort of nudges him in the direction. A true spiritual teacher just nudges you. It's your path. They kind of help you. I call it a pebble on the path. And you continue in your life. You take what Mm -hmm. serves and you leave the rest. Mm -hmm. So that's one meaning of of this teaching. At the garden, he encounters a serpent. Anytime there is a serpent, a snake, a dragon, an iguana, anything like that in mythology, It is about low-level consciousness and illusion. We are all very enamored in this world through our eyes. So we wear veils. When the serpent at the garden is touching the floor, Hercules, as strong as he is, cannot defeat it. But once he starts thinking higher vibration thoughts, raising his consciousness, the serpent starts to gain and lift. And then he can defeat it. So it's the raising our consciousness. And how do we raise our consciousness? Controlling the emotions and focusing on the breath. 
because the emotions swallow us. They keep us in instinct, which is tied into the next labor. And so if we stop and breathe, we take control over the emotion, we can make a choice. We're allowed to go back to low level thought and do our regular routine behavior, or we could choose free will at that moment and move forward. So that labor is very, very powerful. There's a lot there for the spiritual aspirant. There's so many things about the serpent being raised off the ground that plays out in modern day spirituality and new age spirituality in Hollywood. And <laughs> I, I mean, if you think about it, there's so many visuals. We can all just be visualizing when the, the serpent has begun to move off the ground. And, and I won't go into it because I know that we're all just picturing in our head all the ways in which we've seen that. Like our, we have actually been programmed to know that that's possible. And now mm-hmm. you've just rooted it into why. Yeah. Yeah. That's a powerful mythology. And we see it in the Caduceus and Kundalini, anything that we see, but it's always linked to illusion. The serpent, when it is not raised is linked to illusion and low level consciousness. So a lot of times when I teach that particular class in my shaman program, people will say, oh, you're so brilliant, for instance. And I'll be like, have curiosity and wonder what wound I was covering up by becoming so brilliant go beyond the veil. What you admire in somebody is that was originally there to cover up a wound that became a veil and illusion in their own life. I then removed it. But initially I too had validation needs and needed to try to be smart and fit in and so forth. So what you admire started out as a wound and a veil and illusion. And then as you raise that serpent, you can start removing those veils. Whew, that just played out in my life in so many ways. Like the discussion you and I had before we hit record on what we're going to talk about in January, that, I mean, when, when people reflect to me in the work that I do now, it's, that's a really good way to put it is be curious as to what wounding mm-hmm. I was addressing to mm-hmm. be able to do that work. Aha. Aha. Yeah. I love, love, love it. <laughs> that's where the nuggets live in yes. the lessons we've learned. Right. That's Absolutely. the that's where the nuggets yes. live. Mm-hmm. So the fourth is instinct, intellect, and intuition. In this myth, he is asked to go get a doe or like a, a deer and bring it to the temple. Artemis and Apollo, who are brother and sister, they're twins, are fighting for the deer or the doe. He brings it to the temple. This is symbolic of instinct, which is Artemis. That's our moon nature, our emotional nature. Like I said before, swallows us. Our rational is the Apollo, the sun, the intellect. But we need something else. And why he brings a dough to the temple and where it rightly belongs is our intuition. So we need instinct, like we said, the primal urges. We need intellect to make the take the breath and make the choice to, to choose free will and a better choice. But we cannot forget the importance of intuition. And I want to say this again, and I know we talked about it before. Intuition is only as good as the quality of your thoughts take you back to truth one. If you do not process your thoughts, your intuition is low level quality. And so the higher you raise your vibration, the more you know why you're creating conflict, why you have these negative thoughts and you understand their origin and roots, then you have higher intuition or better guidance, so to speak. Mm, So you're like clearing the layers to have access to deeper knowledge. Deeper, yes. And is this also where the spiritual, within the spiritual truths, is this also where our spiritual gifts, I want to say like our seer vision, our deeper knowing, would you classify all of that with intuition or is that in a different part of? We definitely get that in intuition in in the fourth labor. It's the beginning. These are Mm -hmm. layered in the eighth of the shadow. You're really confronted with even deeper knowing and deeper gifts, like the clairs, the depth Mm -hmm. of your clairs, because in truth nine, you become the mentor. You become mm-hmm. wise and now you can teach what you've learned, but only once you battle your Hydra. Mm-hmm. So we've, we still have a ways to go. We're yeah, only okay, on keep four. Going. We're, we're, we're only a quarter five, of the way around the truth, wheel. <laughs> truth five is ego, personality, and will. And a lot of people have been told that they have to kill their ego, their personality is bad. No, it's similar to riding the desires. This is the truth of individuation. Despite 
the thoughts, despite the desires, despite your emotions and your low level instinctual consciousness from the first four labors, you still have permission to be in this world with the ego and personality that was created as a result of that and still live out your divine will and purpose. So this is where it all starts to come together. Your ego, your personality don't dictate any longer, but rather your purpose dictates and uses that wounding that created the ego and the personality to help direct its path. So again, similar to the the riding of the bull here, the fire, the individuation, the purpose, the will rules the ego and the personality. That's a very different story than you're only living veiled and masked. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm following. So truth six is truth of purification. We are set up in our psyche to give sacrifices, six, truth six, linked to truth one to our negative or what I call our impure thoughts. So when we have these negative impure thoughts, whether we're aware of them or not, our body is going to give some sort of sacrifice. For some of us, it's cancer, migraines, broken arms and legs. For some people, it's just, you know, cough or sneeze. It depends on what you're creating in terms of your thoughts. But the body is always showing you what you judge is impure about your thoughts in truth one, unless you process them. If okay, you say that again. Them, Wait, say that again. Your body is always going to show you mm-hmm. what you're judging in terms of your impure thoughts in yeah. truth one. Judgment. Yeah, I got that. That was the piece that jumped out at me. Keep going. Yeah. So rather than using our body to purify our dirty, let's say, uh, prostitution type impure, lustful, envious thoughts, we rather purify by giving what I call offerings. Sacrifices are way too big. Like when I had cancer for five years, like that was way too big of a sacrifice for the impurity of my thoughts. So the way to give less through the body, less damage, less surgery, less injury is by processing the thoughts. And then we only give an offering. So you might have a headache, let's say one day when you process your thought fully. Okay, it has to come out somewhere. The thought, emotion and desire has to come out through the vehicle. But it's very different when you have a cold for a day or two versus cancer for five years. So we have to learn to stop giving these sacrifices through our bodies to purify because we're so nasty, dirty, impure, and rather just own that we're human impure thoughts and urges and desires are linked to those thoughts. And we can just use the body to just purify just minor things. And can we not also use embodiment practices to process those, those thoughts, those judgments, right through different types. And we won't go into them today because there's lots, maybe that's another show embodiment practices. (laughs) Yes. But there are lots of ways to actually physically move your body as part of releasing that sacrifice so it does not turn into something harmful. Absolutely. So when I said earlier that the thought, emotion, and desire is a brick, when you process a brick, imagine the pain and suffering that's going to go through your body. When you process the thought, emotion, and desire, and it turns sort of to sand, it's going to go through the body very different. So embodiment practices take the brick and make it sand-like so it doesn't have to go through so much Mm -hmm. difficulty, so to speak, to live it it out. So truth six in purification, he fails because he goes to the Amazonian island and he asks the queen of the Amazonians was a woman by the name of Hippolyte and she had a girdle. And Hercules, and this is something that we were talking about before the show, so we'll definitely revisit this myth. He goes to the island of the Amazons, which only feminine women are allowed on that island. And he says to Hippolyte, I need your girdle. He's so involved in his own thoughts, again, the thought, mind, body connection there, that he doesn't hear her say, here, take my girdle. And he kills her. Mm, To take the girdle. To take the girdle when she was already handing it to him. And so to clean up his dirty act against the purification, he goes and saves Hesione, who is drowning in the ocean. So our purification or our suffering through the body, whether it's emotional, physical, is to try to clean up 
the impurity of our thoughts that's linked to robbing the girdle mm. when we don't listen, when mm. we speak out of line, etc. Woo, that's a big one. <laughs> that's like that's like a hip pause if you're listening, hip pause for a few moments and just ponder that. That plays out in all of our lives in so many ways. Like I, okay, keep going. I know that I want, I don't so, want to interrupt that. <laughs> Truth seven is fun and balance. So Hercules is told to go get the Arithmian boar. Again, anytime you see a boar, a cow, cattle, it's always low level consciousness. It reminds us that we are animal consciousness, low level consciousness, and we have an earthly body that's animal natures and desires. So this is the only labor, the only labor where he is told by the master, take time to eat. And so he runs into his friend Folos. They have some drunken stupor. He remembers at night that he has to get the boar. He puts a trap. The trap does all the work. The next day he walks down the mountain. The whole countryside is laughing at him because he looks funny holding the boar's hind legs the only labor that ends in fun. And it's the only labor that he is told take time to eat. We have in order to, that's why it's fun and balance in order to be balanced. You need to have fun. You have to be just human and drink and eat and be merry. Like we can't be doing the work all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's an important one, you know, and he mediocrely failed. I mean, he passed the labor, but it was mediocre. The trap did all the work. It's okay. Some but things had, are just not going to excel yeah, at. It's fine. Yeah. And, and, and he had fun doing it. <laughs> he had fun and he met up mm-hmm. with Polos and they drank and it was done. So he got to pass through the gate. Truth eight is the truth of shadow. And this is when he has to go to the swamps and defeat the Hydra. He is given two pieces of advice. The teacher, the master tells him, we rise by kneeling is the first thing. And he said, do not cut off the head of the Hydra because two will grow back. This is our shadow. We have got to understand that we have a shadow aspect that is going to take over and over and over. And we have to rise by kneeling, kind of surrender Surrender. that we are human to this shadow aspect. It is never fully going to be defeated in every single encounter judgment, something you don't like about another, it's showing you your shadow. It never goes away. So so first we have to really surrender the fact that this shadow exists and we're never going to fully defeat it. The second is that he cannot chop off the head of the Hydra, but rather he takes his handy dandy club that he was always with and he put light to it like fire and he severed the head of the Hydra. This is symbolic of fire being the only element that humans have control of right? and the only element that leads to transmutation. If you do not bring your Hydra to the light, bring it up into the light, it will devour you. Two heads will turn to four, turn to six, turn to eight, and you try to suppress it, but everybody else sees it. Yeah, that's the shadow. That's the shadow. It's so so important. I have a side question to ask you, which which is part of this. Um, So interesting. In one of my initiations on the Celtic priestess path, I was gifted the sword of Nuwada. And uh, I, I, I will just briefly talk about the fact that the sword is one side blade, but one side torch. And the torch is because like lighting up as in the work that I do, as you know, because you do the same in the work that we do going into the shadow with others into their shadow, walking alongside them requires us to use more of the torch to shine the light, not the blade to cut it away, Uh, but it's two sided. And so that I wanted to bring that up because in, in, in a lot of the Celtic mythology, the sword of Nuwada is um, known as like the great big sword. It's, it's actually not, it's a light bearer. It's a light torch. Mm -hmm. And so fire is the only element that as humans, we have control over Mm -hmm. our air element is given to us at conception. Our water is given to us at pregnancy and our earth element is given to us at birth in the body. So fire is our right. And that's why Prometheus was punished, which then Hercules saved him for stealing fire from the gods and bringing it to us because the gods said, oh my God, if the humans know how to use fire and transmute their beliefs, because it's all linked to limiting beliefs from truth one, 
then they can turn into gods too. And then Olympus will be overpopulated. <laughs> so we are sort of in the dark until we bring out our shadow to the light, but knowing that we have to surrender and we kneel, we, we win by kneeling is the only, is, is a big truth in that is that the fact is that we have to admit that we're sort of powerless over this, but yet we keep, you know, confronting the shadow work. So now we're at truth eight and this is a very marked part. So I'm just going to use the astrology chart for a moment. The first four truths are linked to what you get by the time you're birthed. You get your thoughts, your emotions, your desires, intellect, and consciousness. That's all located in those first four houses in astrology. So everybody has those sort of four myths, so to speak. And most people stay there. The fifth house or the, the truth of, um, of individuation or, or personality, will, and divine purpose has to do with the individuation process. So this was all that Jung and Campbell sort of talked about was this idea of individuating, becoming your mm -hmm. own person. That is also a fire space, a fire mm. placement. Then we purify, we have balance and fun, we defeat the Hydra. So that's the second section. Now we're entering the third sector of the spiritual path. This is when we start unifying our consciousness. So all this time, you've been trying to balance spirit and matter, light and dark, male and female, like going back and forth, trying to find the balance between the two. This is what represents in the caduceus, the two serpents, the Ida and the Pingala. When they meet at the sixth chakra, now you're in truth nine. Truth nine is wisdom and mentorship. Now that you have balanced your light and dark because you defeated your Hydra, that you've understood that the mind-body connection, that your lower consciousness, intellect, emotions, all of that is your lower nature and you have a higher nature that you discover in the ninth truth. Now, only in truth nine, do you actually become the wise person or the crone or the teacher that Hercules mm -hmm. wanted to find in truth mm. three. This is when you start becoming Nereus. Mm. So we're just starting to unify consciousness now. Mm -hmm. The 10th, the ninth truth is the labor of the Stymphalian birds. He's on a mountaintop and there are these really loud birds that have sort of like a metal covering and he's trying to shoot his bow and arrow, but the metal covering bounces the bows off of it. So instead, Athena shows up, goddess of wisdom. Yes, you. <laughs> and she brings cymbals, the, the musical instrument, the cymbals, mm. and she starts to make noise. The birds, because of the metal armor that they wore on their bodies, made a lot of annoying noise. So the cymbals represent the higher consciousness, listening to the divine, not the voice in your head, the thoughts and truth one. So let me just make a connection here. Truth one is linked to Aries fire. Truth five of individuation is linked to Leo fire. And truth nine is linked to Sagittarius fire. Match, candle, torch. Mm. <laughs> I just so got again, goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> so Athena shows up. She makes the clanking of the symbols and the birds rise. Birds again, like serpents, like horses. If they are flying high, high consciousness, if they are white or light color, they are higher consciousness. These birds turned into these white birds. If they're dark horses, dark birds, they're lower consciousness. So the birds fly high in the air and now the sort of fatty part of their belly, he can pull his bow and arrow and hit them dead. You need higher consciousness, Athena, wisdom, to get out of the negative self-talk in truth one of truth of thoughts. So even by defeating your, your shadow, you still need something higher than yourself. So you unify the lower consciousness, your intellect, logic, rational, instinctual self. And on top of that, now you're really in tune with your intuition. Now it's really vibing. It's not the low level intuition possibly that you have in truth four. Yeah, I I was just I was just thinking about um this unification that you're talking about because I know that 
the spiritual law number 12 that we're coming to is unity, but we're, you're talking unification within self, not unity exactly. within, within self. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was, I was going to yes. just clarify. This is yeah. your lower consciousness and higher consciousness in shamanism. The word shaman means a person who walks the world. We walk the earthly consciousness and we walk the spiritual consciousness. So when I do a shamanic healing, I'm earthly there with my client, but I'm getting guided. Same as when I'm in the Akashic records, I'm not in trance. I'm here with you, you know, sort of vibing, but yet I'm getting the downloads from the guidance from above. So that living as a unified being using your low level consciousness when necessary, because there is time using your earthly logical rational is necessary. You need to pay your bills and eat your food. Your earthly world needs attention, but your spiritual world and your spiritual consciousness also needs attention. When you're balancing these two consciousness levels, then you're the mystic, the shaman, and this is when you're unified consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love it. Okay. So truth 10 <laughs> is silence and simplicity. So this is the space that we meditate. This is the space where we might decide to not chime in and give someone guidance because we just hold space for their pain. They're not ready. They're grieving. This is a space of contemplation. This is where I tell uh, clients to walk labyrinths, which is my absolute favorite contemplation tool. Mm. So Hercules is told to go free Prometheus because Prometheus stole the fire from the gods. So he gets to the underworld with Prometheus is hidden and Hades or Pluto says, sure, if you defeat my three-headed dog Cerberus, then you can have Prometheus. So he has to do one thing first, defeat sort of his own demons before he can help Prometheus go free. In my mythology, the way I explain it in my model, the three-headed dog of Cerberus goes back to your low-level thoughts, your low-level emotions, and your low-level desires. You are never done looking at the earthly consciousness. So once he can confront that he too was in the underworld, that he too has low level consciousness, just like anyone else that he's going to help, which is for healers. We are not more evolved than our client. We are Mm -hmm. side by side doing the work with them. This concept that we, I always tell my, I'm side by side. If I'm half a pebble ahead of you, it'd be a miracle. Like I'm right there with you, girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Like I have nothing figured out. And it's that humility that is so important in this labor. And so because he can defeat the three-headed dog before, because he recognizes that he too was chained just like Prometheus just yesterday, he then can free Prometheus. We can only help somebody when we recognize that that's the exact same help we still need and we've needed all along. Mm -hmm. We're not really that far from where we started is the reality of it. Mm-hmm. I like to say that we we also have to give ourselves the medicine that we share with others. Like that's Absolutely. that's what you're talking about. We and, yes. and it's constant. In fact, I would say if you are doing some type of spiritual coaching or healing or spiritual work for others, most of the time when someone comes to you for healing, it's a reflection that you of need exactly the medicine what too. You need. Yes, I'm like <laughs> the advice I give is the advice I need. Oh, and people Absolutely. don't love to talk about this. No. I'm just saying, spiritual <laughs> leaders do not like to talk about their own imperfections nope. and where they're still doing. Doing work, and which is why I think there's always a need for a coach or a teacher. It doesn't matter yes. what level you're at. Everybody needs that wise person that's been where they are. If you're walking into new areas, like they'll mm-hmm. take you in places they've been. Um, yes. Side note: this, find a this, teacher. <laughs> absolutely, and this myth is linked to what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. He said that there is a wide door and a narrow door. The wide door has to do with truth four. Everyone has instinct, some level of intellect and some version of intuition, but it is in the 10th truth that is a narrow door. And the narrow door is when you really decide to walk the walk. So you've gotten all the way to truth nine. You're a wi- you have w- wisdom, you mentor, maybe you've written a book, you teach a class, but now you're moving into the last three truths. Are you ready to be a servant? Are you really ready to walk the walk? And walking a narrow door and a narrow path is death after death after death because you are letting go 
of that low level consciousness, emotion, desire, like you just said, with every client, you're just being mirrored back to what Mm -hmm. you need, to the medicine you need to drink. And not everyone is willing to do that. And that's fine, but that's a tough labor. Mm -hmm. So he went, he passes (laughs) and then he's invited to go to truth 11, which is the truth of service. So the truth of service is when Hercules has to go to King Augeus and clean out the stables. King Augeus is very distrusting. And he's like, what do you want? You're not going to clean out these stables. Let me just make a note here. The stables were, were horse stables, had not been cleaned out in 30 years. Mm. 30 years of dung. Okay. So King August is like, why are you helping me? What do you want? And Hercules is like, nothing. I just want to be of service because it's the truth of service. And he doesn't believe him. Oftentimes you're going to encounter that, right? Oh, you want something. As most people, we don't offer service without something in, in, in return. And he's like, okay, I'll give you half my kingdom which Hercules doesn't want, but he's like, okay, let me just clean out the stables. So he enters the stables and the stench is so bad that people are dropping dead left and right. So he goes in and he realizes that there are two rivers that if he cuts holes at the bottom of the stables, the river waters will actually clean out the dung for him. Mm. And this is important. I am not a believer in the word selfless. I believe in self and selfish. If you are taking someone's power or giving yours away, you are selfish. You are not in self. You are not in service. There is a reason that truth five, which is the exact opposite, is the truth of ego, personality, and will. You need an ego and personality. You need your will to guide your path and you need to individuate. If you have not individuated into self, your own person, there is no way you're serving another. So service is actually self. I serve me and you. It's not Mm -hmm. selfless. Mm, it's it's so true. It's so true. I actually just had this conversation yesterday with a very wise spiritual teacher whom I love very much. And her name is Suzanne Raja. And we were talking about, um, to me, when I serve, uh, I work with a lot of nonprofit organizations. And when I serve, I get a lot. Like I know that I get a lot of fulfillment. Like I am also receiving every time that I'm serving because I know how it makes me feel. Yeah. And so self is this concept where you don't take someone's power and they don't take your own. So each is getting in the mm-hmm. exchange, whereas Augies didn't believe that. And so Hercules creates these two holes in the stables. The waters clean out all of the dung. And this labor of service is very important for what we're living. We are just starting the age of Aquarius, which is the age of service. But we need self before we can serve. This idea of social justice, this idea of burnout is not balanced. We need to meet our needs, be grounded in the body, and then return the favor and give. And the water bearer, Ganymede, who lives in the cosmos as the water bearer linked to Age of Aquarius, represents those rivers. The rivers are always symbolic. Any myth with rivers or water supply always indicates spirituality. The spirit cleans out the dung that is the earthly matter, the earthly self. So now we start seeing that instead of riding the bull, we're starting to wind down Hercules path, our spiritual path by service, by the spirit sort of leading the matter. Mm-hmm. And the last myth is the cattle of Gairon, where a secret chalice, it's the truth of unity. There is this magical chalice that appears and the chalice is Always in any myth, Fisher King and in, in, in King Arthur and the in the uh, Knights of the Round Table, always the chalice is representative of the feminine and representative of the body. So he collects all of the cattle and he puts them in the chalice. So now he's not riding the bull and riding the animal nature, but rather the animal nature is sort of uh, submissive or he's in control spiritually of the matter. And that's the last labor. He passes the gate and he's able to go up to 
the heavens in Olympus. Now we may not finish all 10, uh, 12 truths in one lifetime. We may do it two, three, four times in a lifetime. It depends, but this is the way that we go round and round in every existence. So beautiful. There's so much in this show. This is why I love talking to you. And I, I recommend as people are listening to this, that they take time to go back and look at where they, where they're sitting, right? Like where are they sitting? Because when I think like big picture of these 12 spiritual truths, it's like the path. It's, it feels like a path, right? Mm -hmm. But it's cyclical. It's not linear. It's cyclical. And I think about I think about these processes that we're not going to talk about today because if people want to do this work with you, we will put links in how they can find you to do this work. But it's really a, it's, it's like the great wheel, right? It's how the great wheel turns. And I often say to people for me and my own experience in this lifetime, that when the wheel turns for me, there is profound change. And so many people will relate to that Mm -hmm. and how their lives have changed even in the last 18 months. Like, where are you at in this wheel of truth? Where are you at? And even bringing awareness to that, like even listening to this and and thinking about where you're at is going to change. It, it will be mass, massive transformation just by listening to this show. And you might need to listen to it like 12 times. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so I have on my YouTube a ton of videos, but there's one specifically of each of the labors. Mm. Um, so if you want to go and sort of get a primer that is available, I also have a Patreon that is the 12 truths. And there's an activity for each of the truths, a video about 20, 30 minutes long and a workbook. Um, And in my hidden truths book, which is the eight laws of the universe in the back, there's a workbook that again, follows the 12 truths. If you want to read more, what I recommend is the book by Alice Bailey called the labors of Hercules. I do want to say one thing, the labors in the way that I put them are not the order that the Greek text state them. These are aligned and assigned in the order of the spiritual truths. So if you are a Greek buff, a myth buff, you're saying, oh, she's saying them out of order. That's intentional. It's to follow the spiritual path. Mm, Got you. Yeah, I understand. And we're going to, you know, we're going to be talking in the future. So whenever you're listening to this, go look out the episode. We're going to talk about mythology because we're talking a lot of mythology here. And for people that have not done a lot of work with mythology, some of this might not make sense. I'm sure everybody has heard of Hercules and Zeus and these names that we're, we're sprinkling. And we're going to talk about that next. But the mythology piece is so important, such good examples. And thank you so much for sharing that because it gives us real practical ways of diving into our own path. And here's the thing. If you haven't done work with mythology, it is not uh, culture washed in terms of being all nice and pretty. Oh no! There is there is <laughs> there is death, destruction, desire, and I feel like a lot of modern stories of spirituality take all of that away. Like they soften it, they yes, make it pretty, agreed. and they want to <laughs> yes. right. They, they put it in a little package with a bow. No, no, no. The real <laughs> truth is, we don't live with a package and a bow, and mm-hmm. neither do the mythologies present that way. So, studying real mythology is destruction. It is uh, beautiful, and it is real. <laughs> <laughs> it is real, and that's one of the reasons why I love this myth so much because it really speaks to trials and tribulations that we all go through in some way or another Mm -hmm. and they don't sugarcoat it. So thank you for pointing that out because it's very true. Mm. Well, thank you. We packed so much (laughs) into our shows. I love it. So we'll put all of the links on how people can find you on social media, how to find your YouTube channel. And I really like the Patreon package that you have with the 12 truths that has a, a workbook. And we will put that in the link so people can visit it, learn more, dive into it, find you. And of course they can always find you on grit and grace because we're going to keep bringing you back. <laughs> Cause <laughs> I desire so to have these deep conversations <laughs> and we're not suppressing those urges. <laughs> right. And, and, and we both get something from it. So even oh. look, at self, right? Like my, I, I, me, I get filled up spending time with you. I also Likewise. get filled up in knowing that we're sharing this with the world. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> Thank you so much again. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being here. And for those of you listening, if you loved this show, the best thing you can do for us is share it. Your reviews and ratings are helpful, but really the best thing you can do is share it. So tag a friend, send it to someone who you think would enjoy listening to it. And if you haven't yet joined me, you may or may not have heard that I started this movement. I really 
really powerful movement to help others step into their full power. And this is power within, like we're, you know, looking at the blockages of where we are withholding our own power. And of course, these 12 spiritual truths is a path to explore that. But I'm doing this on Facebook, which I know you, you're you listening. You're like, oh, Tavra Lee said she's not going to do Facebook groups. Well, I am doing a Facebook group. It is called Witch Power. And you can request to join. We are a movement. This is a movement. This is a movement to reclaim the ways in which we are giving our own power away. So you can join us on Facebook. And I'm going to invite Dr. Yahya to join us on that group as well. And so you will be there. You'll get to see her there and we will connect soon. Thanks for listening and we will be back. Thank you for joining us today. On any of your favorite listening apps, we would really appreciate a rating and review. And if you're looking for more information, make sure that you go to moontempleschool.com and you can find us there. 